zero hours. Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero hours! Hello and welcome to Zero Hours Podcast with me, Catherine Mather, where I speak to comedians and creators about the best and worst jobs they've had to do to get by. Today, I'm joined by comedian and software developer, Tom B. How are you doing? I'm not bad. I literally I finished work five minutes ago, so this is all very fresh on the mind. Oh, so. amazing. <laughs> That's what we like. I um, I used to not be able to record them after work because I just couldn't think anymore. So this could be, I don't know if that's how you are after work, but this could be a really dull podcast. Oh, no, I mean, I'm I'm a, soft, I'm a software developer, so so much of my day is just spent staring at the screen, just going, I'm looking at it. I can't fix it. That's fine. Let's keep looking at it and maybe it'll get better. It's... <laughs> Develop faster. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> All the apps building. Guess I'll go and smoke some weed during the day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll just hope that none of your uh, current colleagues are listed. To... I, I mean, th- that's why you have a stage name. <laughs> that is why you have a stage name, to be fair. <laughs> I will just use a picture of Mr. Blobby. Uh, as I, mean, the... I, I mean, I know this is audio, but that is fair. So... Yeah, I've seen your uh, your sexy Blobby tattoo. <laughs> oh, God. Do you follow the Mr. Blobby account on Twitter? I follow about three. Yeah. <laughs> and also, every time anything Mr. Blobby goes viral, I get about seven texts, which just like, <laughs> sends a picture of your tattoo, someone's just discovered a Blobby. Oh, great, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Do you like Mr. Blobby that much, or is it just a fun I'm, thing? I'm fascinated by Mr. Blobby, because like Mr. Blobby started as a joke. It was like, it was meant to be just a throwaway gag of like, kids will never love this. Like, what's the worst thing that we do? It was almost like the producers. Mm. And then we got a national fascination with him, and he became he got his own theme park for a bit there. Really, uh, where was that? I I can't remember because it's called Crinkly Bottom. But it's if you, <laughs> yes, yeah. but if you if you Google it, it's like it's abandoned now. But most of the attractions and the sets are still there, so it's just like this overgrown apocalyptic blobby hellscape. Oh my god, I want to go because you can just imagine they're like. But out of nowhere and you're like oh my god on a dark night and a full moon <laughs> the fuck is that <laughs> oh it's the pink and yellow moon blobby's out <laughs> i remember being so excited seeing him at rochdale exchange shopping center same were we there at the same time yeah we almost definitely were it's, like, it's not much to do in rochdale no it's a very small yeah. town especially the 90s so well, yeah, Mr. Blobby being there really was just... And it's definitely him. I mean, like, we've all probably done the jobs where we have to get in the big costumes, but I don't want to believe that was a volunteer in a costume. It was actually Mr. Blobby. Yeah, yeah, you cut him and he, he bleeds Blobby. <laughs> <laughs> Rhubarb and trusted milk. What was your uh, job where you had to dress up in one of those? Oh, I've done a few of those. Um, so my CV's really long and stupid um but when i was teaching circus um i used to do a lot of walkabout work and while that's usually being on a unicycle or juggling or doing character work sometimes they just give you like one of those mascot costumes and it's just like go and do this for five hours and it's awful i hate i hate like you've got (laughs) you've got such a limited like field of vision Mm -hmm. and they are some of them have fans in them and that's how they inflate and they're great on a hot day. But if you're doing walkabout work, it's usually either dead of winter because it's Christmas time or summer. And if you're in a costume, it's almost definitely summer and it's awful. <laughs> yeah. I was Peppa Pig and the Easter Bunny. Oh no. Yeah. And the... must have been hard. Yeah, because it's such a wide costume. So it's like you're walking in flippers. And <laughs> and corners are so much harder than you expect them to be. Mm. Yeah, I think it, the, the worst bit of it is the heat and the field of vision, as you said, that if I had to pick the top two. But one of my favourite subcategories of the internet is there's a Twitter <laughs> account which is solely dedicated to football mascots taking a minute silence. Oh, my God. <gasps> I need to find this. <laughs> are they... <laughs> Are they doing it seriously? Yeah, solemnly, like arms, head down, but it's, you know, Mooney from C. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, what 
has your worst job been? Oh, I've had so many bad jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everyone of our generation is like, listen, pal, I have done every single kind of job you can think of, and they were all awful. Yeah, they were all shit. Um, Subway when I was 17 sucked. Mm -hmm. That was unpleasant, but at the same time, because I was under the age of 18, they couldn't exploit me quite like Subway likes to exploit most of its workers, so it's like I wasn't allowed to be on the 3 a.m. shifts. And right. I got fired long before then, before mm -hmm. I turned 18, so it doesn't count. I think, because like every bad job has something good about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, like, it's easy to say because I've worked in at least three Rochdale pubs and I managed the bar for a bit. I, right, actually, you. this is solely for you and anyone listening. <laughs> I, used to, I used to manage the bar that uh, Mango's became. Oh, my God. Yeah. I had some of the best and worst nights in Mango's. I'm surprised you remember it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, they really tried to base it. They turned it into a cocktail place. It was the same owner, but, mm -hmm. like, 15 years later, and he hadn't realised that any time had passed. <laughs> and so it's sure. just like we don't know have the cheap we don't know have the cheap red bull and everybody loves dark fruits and it's like if you're trying to make this a classy cocktail for us we're not having fucking dark fruits <laughs> taurus yeah. people like to drink taurus stuff <laughs> <laughs> taurus is my favorite mix <laughs> <laughs> but it's like but every customer we had was effectively oh mangroves is reopening mm. and then they just had me stern-faced refusing to make porn star martinis because they're a waste of prosecco <laughs> i think the actual worst job i've ever had is when i did uh behavioral stuff for, is when i did behavioral work with children in pupil referral units mm -hmm. which is where you get sent when uh, you've been expelled basically right. um we i've worked with both agents when i was a youth worker i specialized between five and 19 so i was like huge and a lot of behavioral learning uh difficulty stuff yeah but weirdly, the primary school level pupil referral units was by far the worst. I've done some hellish youth work jobs, but the only time I've ever been properly injured is when a five-year-old stabbed me. So wow. what was over sharpened pencil went an inch into the back of my knee. Oh my god. Yeah, that'll it, do it. Yeah, it's because I moved his dinosaur toys without a fair warning. So it is one hundred percent my fault. It was like yeah. it, it was quite early. It was quite early in my career with it. So it was like, oh just I'll just take those. It's fine. Like not hadn't read it, hadn't read his report, you know, it wasn't aware fully of his needs. And he just all I heard was the word no and just like this jab in the back of my leg. Uh. And I got, and also, this is why it was a shit job. I was working for an agency that happened in the morning, and I didn't get paid for the afternoon because I had to leave to go to hospital. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> agencies are just the biggest piece of shit employers. Yep. Yep. And they take half of what you earn per hour anyway. I'm, I'm convinced it's more. Because like, like I'm an apprentice software developer, which means I'm on minimum wage, but I feel like I'm earning more than I've ever earned in my life, mm -hmm. which at 32 is depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, feel similarly, and it is, it's not, yeah. oh. <laughs> but, it's like, oh, I'm so, I'm so self-made, I'm freelance, and it's, I don't know how much I'm getting at the end of the month, and that's exciting, and it turns out what's more exciting is knowing exactly how much you're getting at the end of the month. It, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? How uh, not wondering where your next meal comes from makes life le a lot less stressful. Who would have known? <laughs> <laughs> so um, was the social work, the youth work, was that something that you'd like, was it a goal or is it something that you kind of fell into? I kind of fell into it. It's I always liked it and I always loved it, but I, I had been uh, performing and doing circus still since like the age of eight with a company you might know them because it's Rochdale with a company called Starlight Circus Arts yes uh, <laughs> there we go and um so I worked so after I finished uni I worked with them um basically just as an excuse to teach stuff and work with adults with disabilities because it just felt like good work that needed to be done and I was young enough to not be too ground down by it and it just slowly evolved into youth work because it just gained these strange specialities where it's like, oh, Tom's really Tom's really good at like behavioral theory and also he'll teach them how to juggle. Send him there. Yeah. <laughs> and it just got this, I kind of like got this reputation with every agency I worked at as the one who will work absolutely anywhere because my CV read like a war veteran. Right. <laughs> 
because the amount of like especially starlight the amount of places they just send you because like oh they want a circus workshop it's for ex offenders i'm like good okay <laughs> amazing <laughs> lovely not generally knives great <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll keep the fire out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh your defenders work was always good you can swear at them yeah do they like it when you do that yeah they just tell like you've got to pick your moments and you've got to pick your kid but usually it's a way where they'll start giving you shit if you just prove that you're a bit of a stern dickhead mm-hmm. but you're, not, well, you're not meant to call an eight-year-old a cunt but if he does it first i think it's fair no i agree and if he's been <laughs> a cunt you know yeah. Oh, I learned I learned some incredible insults from the kids I used to work with. Yeah. Uh, a lanky shit rag was great. Yeah. Especially because I'm five foot six. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one kid said he was gonna back to me and that I'm a lanky I'm, I'm a lanky gay pedo. And the head just said, two out of three is not bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that is uh that's just like, what are all the worst words that I know to call somebody? And I'll okay. just... Oh, that's all it is. It's one of my favourite things about working with kids um, under high school age is that they say some of the worst stuff, but they have no idea what it means. No. <laughs> like, uh, the first ever lad I did one-to-one work with, like really extreme case, it was my... He was in a pupil referral unit and he, his school wanted him to be full-time back at their school. Because he should have been in a pooper referral unit, but they hadn't expelled a they hadn't expelled a student for five years and had Ofsted you. Right, um, I see. He took targets and more important than children. It's part of the reason I left. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but he was just it was mad at separation anxiety more than anything. Mm-hmm. But he just used to say things with so much hatred, but not understand what he was talking about. Yeah. Like he found out that I he found out that I lived with like my mate at the time who is male and was just like, oh, you're gay. You two are gay. I bet you get under the covers and touch willies at night. <laughs> but what's that got to do with anything? Exactly. That's not gay. It's just saying hello. <laughs> oh, that is adorable. I know. It's really sweet. It's mm. like, and then for the rest of the day, he kept, he would just every time I would try and get him to do something, he would just say, fuck off and go and play willy worms. <laughs> Oh, I've done that so long ago now. He's like he's prison age now. I wonder how he's doing. Mm. Well, maybe do a workshop, uh, a circus skills workshop mm-hmm. uh, in the local bar still. Oh, I did have I did have to get out of youth work when all the kids I worked with started coming into the pubs that I worked in. Uh, okay, that yeah. was the, that was the moment. Just like, I've known them since I was five, and now they can drink. I've been doing it too long. <laughs> So was it um was it all agency work that you did? Because I can't see that uh I, I would imagine surely continuity is key with people, uh, or children who are in, in that situation. Um it's mostly it's mostly agency work. Um sometimes it, when it was circus stuff, I would usually be hired by the school to and it would be either one off stuff or like in four week blocks so like I also used to go into Bruce and do like a storytelling and filmmaking workshop and it was like week by week it was like one week was make the story second week was storyboard it third week was make it I edit it over the week bring it to them that way mm-hmm. um, and that was always they've hired us in and they've hired a company that I'm kind of a freelancer for rather than an agency but if I was right. in if I was in stores and it was one-to-one work it was agency but it was always long term yeah. But the problem with agencies is that they really like they they'll use it to try and get you to work three days. Because <clears throat> like there was one job where they're like, Oh yeah, you're definitely working with this child like for the duration of the year. You've just got to impress on this day, it's like an interview day, blah, blah, blah. And they love an interview day where you don't get paid. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, and then I got to the school and at the end they was like just, oh yeah, so be you know, nice come by, enjoy working with a kid. And they were just like, No, you're just Covering someone while they're sick. Uh, yeah. That's it's really, it's really common practice. Mm-hmm. So then, like, can you say, not... Yeah, just... no, so I just, that's the one day I worked in that store. Shit. It, yeah, it's like, they'll they they'll send, like, five TAs, telling them all it's like an interview and impress, but the store just wants to cover and needs five TAs that day, usually. So you th- and then there's no way that you can just say, that was just a day of work, pay me for it. Nope. It's uh, because they effectively said they tell you it's an interview. Um, right. The first couple of times, the first couple of times that happened, I just started refusing to do them. 
I was like, yeah. you can find me a job where I'm going in and I'm getting paid. It's like, I would rather do day-by-day work mm. than keep auditioning and it's not an audition, you know? Yeah, and also, it's you're either qualified for that job or you're not, right? Because I know that that's quite common as well in catering, as I'm, I'm sure you well know. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, I think, you know, if you've, if you've got a CV where you've worked in enough bars and restaurants, then you can do that job. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it shouldn't be, oh, you know, if you've worked at enough schools, it, you don't need to prove individually to each one that you can do it for free, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's it, because... Like, I started working with young people when I was 16. So like, by this stage, if we're still doing it now, I'd have 16 years of experience in youth work of some degree. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and again, the agency is just like, you got to go prove yourself and encourage you to pay for the qualifications, which don't even matter because there's only so many TA level four jobs actually out there and they yeah. tend to be in-house. It's, just, it's very discouraging. <laughs> yeah. So was that the reason that you stopped doing it? Or was Sorry. it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was part of it the reason i officially stopped is um as you know i walked with a stick because of my bad knee um that happened in the nursery i was working at i was trying to st- well it didn't happen there my injury is from years and years of performing circus but um it kind of like got to the point of no return on my bad knee when i was working in the nursery and a very adorable child was just running across and he was basically about to stage dive into the chicken coop Right. Uh, because posh nurseries, they're the only ones who are open on the holidays. If I'm doing nursery work, it's in the school holidays and only the posh ones are open at a yeah. chicken coop. It was in Macclesfield and it was like, it's like just this little nursery there and then just hills as far as you could see as their back. And I was yeah. terrified of losing children the entire time. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Because if one just starts running. Yeah. What, like <laughs> it could go forever. Yeah. So so this kid's kind of like, he's about to stage dive into a chicken coop. So I had to kind of like dodge and grab him. And I just twisted around my knee and was off my feet for about a week. And it's never really been right. Something was always going to happen for the for it to get bad. It's like, I'm not blaming the stool. But it was one of those where you're just like, oh, it's not worth doing this to myself for, you know, 45 quid a day. Yeah. That's a shame that it's... Um... It feels like it's one of those jobs that's un- perhaps undervalued a bit. I think any, I think any fa- uh, any job where people are facing, usually disenfranchised people, is undervalued. It's like you look at, like if you look at the care sector, it's filled with underpaid workers who really aren't up for the complexity of the job. But you know, it's so it's a low paid job, so you don't get. I'm, I'm not going to say skilled workers because that's not fair, but like you, you know what I mean. It's like you don't mm-hmm. get the people who are qualified or able enough to do the job if you're not paying for that. You end up with people who are at loose ends who either want to fill a job or that. And education has the same problem. Yeah. Because even if you end up in a school and you end up salaried with them, in some way, like there's there's always a bunch of resentment from in-house TAs to agency TAs because they seem to think that we get paid more than them, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's just we get paid weekly. That's the only difference, and yeah. considerably less. But like you know, it all. I always say because I've just I have no problem talking about money at work. <laughs> it's why yeah. I think everybody should know how much everybody's on. Oh my god, yeah, absolutely. We'd all get paid more. <laughs> And like I always say, it seems like we get paid more week by week, but when the two-week holidays come up, we're not being paid for our work because mm-hmm. we're not working and we have to go to nurseries and do that. You get two weeks off salaried. Yeah, and uh, also in education, some places uh, will do the contracts from September to mid-July. Yep. So even if you do work there, you do not get paid for that six-week holiday. I, I, worked for, I worked for a school with an agency for two years Mm-hmm. and um and yeah it was that it's i worked basically i think i started there in the second term so i worked the second term didn't get paid in half term on the holiday Worked the third term didn't get paid for the six week holidays started again kind of like got the message from the agent oh yeah they want to rebook you in september and i got this in july i was just like why can't they pay me <laughs> yeah it's insane isn't it i mean education's i, I trained as a I, I told you my cv is long and weird i trained as a teacher for a term because um, okay. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was like what I was meant to do it's not uh, no. <laughs> it's I love working with kids I do but it's the best job in the world like nine till three but like everything outside of that is horrid 
So what what are the worst, most off-putting aspects? I think for teaching, certainly, I was with a year one class and I was getting in at about seven o'clock in the morning. I was leaving after a lot of people. I was leaving at about six o'clock some days and I was getting shit from my tutors for not taking all the books home with me and marking over the weekend and doing work on it over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it was, it's just all consuming. It's yeah. you to really want to do teaching. Yeah. And then you've got to want it a little bit more than that. Because it is just a lifestyle. It's not a job. And yeah. You can't, and I, I don't know how professional teachers who also do comedy balance it because I couldn't balance training. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? There's quite a few. And doctors as well. Who I, I never understand how doctor. I no idea how Harry Hill called it off. No, like because I, I I imagine yeah, it's like a calling, right? You, mm. you do it or you don't do it. So I and similar for comedy, I don't know how you would balance those at all. Yeah, imagine being on call while you're dying on your ass at King Kong. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, please let my beat go off. Oh, <laughs> I, could be, I could be resting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it yeah, it's an extra sting to those shit gigs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always, I always find that anyway, because like, especially now with the like knee and adjusting to disability thing, I'm just like, I'm only doing gigs if I know they're all right. Yes. Which is a, it's really hard to do when you're at my level of comedy. Like, I'm not at a point in my career where I should be being picky, but now I have to be. (laughs) No, I think everyone should be more picky though. I've started getting more picky because I think otherwise you end up traveling up and down the country for a tenner. They're like. Can you come to Carlisle for £10 <laughs> to do a 10 spot? And you're like, no, no, I don't, no, do I don't I want to. Actually. Eight hours on a mega bus for eight people. <laughs> and then go into work tomorrow on eight hours of mega bus sleep. <laughs> Awful. It's, I mean, like comedy, I mean, I think comedy is probably the worst job I've had. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into that? Um, again, it all it all goes down to money. Um, I was living in Germany working as a I was a European volunteer uh, working with a youth circus company out there. We would get we would take kids from local schools, bring them into the bid top that we had, teach them circus skills, and put together a show over the week, and then they'd do it in front of like their friends and teachers and family. It's a really nice project, mm. and um, that was when my my currently bad knee started kind of like first acting up because I had surgery on the first one when I was nineteen. And then this was when I was about 25. It's just years of wear and tear. Mm-hmm. And I can't work because Germans, uh, Germany are way more on their insurance than and not exploiting their workers than we are. So, what? Yeah, they were just like, you're injured, you're not working. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why? I can, because I'm used to that like British mindset of just like, no, let's, I will work because, you know, I've got another leg. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was just like, if it gets worse, we're liable. And I'm like, cool, I won't work. That's fine. Yeah. But, and obviously I was like quite bummed out about that because circus had been such a huge part of my life for like 17 years. Mm. Um, and I was still booked for a few gala shows um, in Ireland mainly. And I had to like, oh, I'm going to have to cancel, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what? It, circus is quite similar to comedy in that if you're booking someone, they're probably your mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was just like, we'll pay for each other over anyway. Just why don't you want to see it? And I just realized that microphones were quite fun mm-hmm. and there's a certain powerful feeling of making loads of people laugh so and luckily berlin has a really strong english open mic scene for comedy because it's just a city of expats so yeah. that was in my last three months of living in berlin and i think i did like 40 gigs in that time wow that's yes. so right many on. to begin yeah, with like, as well yeah like all white effectively what every one of them cycling distance from my house i never had to leave berlin amazing I know a lot of people who started out on the Berlin English scene. Yeah, it, it's a lovely place to learn because um, like, there's no progression unless you speak German. It's mm-hmm. like the only people who kind of like go on to be on German television are the German speakers. But they do so well because a lot of what, certainly when I was there, a lot of the comedy that was coming out of like newer German stand-up comics was completely unknown to them. It was stuff that we've seen for years. Yeah. Or like, oh, wait, for example, uh, there's Vincent. Uh, oh, I can't say his last name, which has got a PM. <laughs> Vincent Farlin, um, mm-hmm. who is basically if Seth Roden did stand up. Oh, okay. Uh, 
they've never seen stoner comedy in like pure German and they've never seen that kind of delivery and that kind of humor with German. Uh, usually, traditionally, German comedy is super slapstick more than anything. Yeah. They love slapstick and they love sketch. Right. And they love they love low hanging fruit. <laughs> and, um, like I think, oh, I forgot. It's like uh, something from Marcel. No, that's not it. I'll doodle it later and feel silly. But like one of the most popular comedy characters is basically Vicky Pollard, but German. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's, uh, so it's like, yeah, the people who do get to TV do phenomenally well over there. Yeah. And, you know, and the rest of us are just like, I'm not learning another one. I can speak German, but I would not perform in it. No. Why is that? Um, the, the I think that you can directly translate sets, but it still loses something because like part of why jokes work is the is is the cadence it's how it is it's even like the grammar specifically and german grammar is quite specific and different to ours yeah so it's like it's it's possible to be very funny in german it's just i don't think my german's strong enough to i think i might be able to do it i just don't think i'd have the confidence to believe i was doing it if that makes sense yeah i get you because i think it's just another i always have a lot of admiration for people who uh perform in a second language because it's so much it's not just learning a language is it and as you said directly translating it it's like culture and references and just yeah how things sound certain words sound funny and they might not do oh yeah oh when i when i came back to england and started trying to do um open mics here i died on my ass so hard for like really? the first month because it was just everything i wrote like it worked in berlin mm. and it had kind of like been hacked away so it would work in berlin and manchester is not berlin yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting because that was going to be my next question how was the transition hard. um yeah, I mean, it was. I think the transition was harder because I went from being able to gig pretty much at least three to four times and three to four times a week, multiple times a night. To, I mean, Manchester open mic is now, if anything, a bit too big. But mm-hmm. back then, it was Frog and Bucket, Comedy Store, Comments Anonymous. Yes, and that was it. <laughs> that oh, oh and, comedy, and, balloon. comedy balloon and comedy balloon, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was hard. It was really hard kind of like going, oh, I just do this to feel better about myself. I just like going out and talking and getting the laughs. And it was very difficult to then come back to, oh, no one here, like, because Germans also tip is worth noting. Bucket shows oh. in June. I once did a, I once did a gig over there at Hamburger Mary's, which is a very famous drag bar chain. Mm-hmm. And it, so it was a very, very queer audience. There was seven acts on and we all got 50 euros each in the bucket. Oh, amazing it's not it's just mm. and then i came here and it's just like well if anything you should be paying us to be honest <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you've got to buy two drinks that's what we'll pay right. you i'm so glad i've never done stand-up properly in london i'm so glad oh <laughs> my god yeah sounds horrific it sounds insane i'll just for context because I, I appreciate that not all of our listeners will be aware there are certain shows where not only will they make you bring the audience, you have to bring one. I had someone ask me to bring 14 people once, and I said, no. 14? I don't even know 14 people. Uh, That's insane. And then he was like, just bring five. And I was like, no. And he was like, bring one. And I said, I'm not going to bring anyone. And he was like, okay, I'll see you on Thursday. <laughs> but they do that. And also certain ones will make you buy a uh, two-drink minimum uh, at the bar to fund their bar sales i i hate bringers because i have this theory that if you keep making your friends go to your open mic performances they're not going to come and see your edinburgh show no because i think you ship yeah because you are you, when you start yeah, out you lose so much good grace mm-hmm. i just like no i've been doing it five years now i'm finally ready to show it you like because yes. that's what it would be with any other performance art like if it's mm-hmm. music you practice it in your bedroom until you're ready to show somebody if it's painting or anything like that it's all done privately and then you showcase it when you're good. Stand up, you've got to learn in front of people. Yeah, and that's what makes it difficult because you're like, hey, do you want to watch me come and learn the violin in front of 30 people? <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that Edinburgh show though. <laughs> yeah, it's an <laughs> just, hour. No, else. it's just every, like, it's for the full run, 28 mm. shows, everyone is an hour lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do any work between that hour. <laughs> yeah, no rehearsal. <laughs> just... 
the first time you have picked a violin up is oh. on the 5th of August. <laughs> Five stars, the Scotsman. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Real tears were shed by the performer. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite bit was when they threw it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Like, shit, now I'm gonna buy another violin for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so circus, how did you get into it? Did you want to get into it? Was it your family? Um, so um a family friend was involved with Starlight Circus Arts in Rochdale, and I went to see one of their shows when I was about seven years old, mm-hmm. and there was a big swinging rope section, and it looked really fun. So I just kind of hounded our family friend until they would tell me how I'm able to do it. And really, it was just something to do on a Thursday for like a a very, very long time, for about 10 years. It was just what I did on Thursdays and where I saw my friends. Mm -hmm. It just steadily started becoming a job after uni because I did uh, my degrees in film. Mm -hmm. And that that is yet another industry where you come out with a degree and it's like, would you like to work for free for like a year like no yeah, it's like <laughs> no. do you want to make coffee for people who get paid 10 times more than you'll ever earn in your life yes <laughs> uh so i mean you know you try it but i was not in a position to be doing unpaid internships and starlight offered me a job so i was like oh this will do for a bit i like circus that would be fun i was originally done as a road to circus stall but my dad wanted me to do politics so we met in the middle and i did film <laughs> yes <laughs> nobody's happy hey hey <laughs> i got to live in cornwall it was all right oh, okay then fair enough and yeah, I just never really looked back until the point of injury. And even then, I'm still, like, I'm in Spain um, at the end of next month for a circus exchange. I was in Spain a couple of months ago for the same thing. So I still keep my oar in because, yeah, some of my old, I've got some of my oldest friends through it, really. So, and it's very hard to get out. It's a very tweaky scene. And if you feel like you're out of it, then all of a sudden a lot of things change and it's odd. Yeah. Once and sometimes they give me paid MC work, which, you know. Which pays way better than any comedy MC work I've ever fucking done. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and they love it because like most circus MCs are trying to do are doing circus tricks and they're like, you saw the juddling, now it's time for my juddling bit. And it's always trying, it's good. It's I don't have anything against it. But whenever I do circus MC, I approach it as a stand-up. Yeah. So just there, and it's just nothing but jokes, make jokes about that, play, like, I mean, you've seen me and Andrew do stuff, play a lot of audience games. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I get a fair bit through that because they're just not used to someone who's just like, oh, <laughs> you don't need, I don't mean the only MC who doesn't turn up with a suitcase of props like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's the dressing room? <laughs> <laughs> so what else is on the worst jobs? Uh, menu for this evening. <laughs> menu. Um, I did a week cold calling, which I didn't realise. Um, I signed up for a call centre job. Uh, I mean, right, the clue should have been when they said it was cash in hand. But <laughs> like that, that's always, but also I love cash in hand work. It's so <laughs> good, isn't it? I love it. Just finish your shift, get given a wad of cash. It's great. You feel like a drug dealer. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, all I want to be. <laughs> But yeah, it, it was what it was in Manchester in this tiny little office. It was very clearly a newly set up like office. Like they rented the space and built the office in there. Mm-hmm. And it was calling people and saying, Oh, our systems tell us that you've been in a car accident recently. Um, and if they and if they say no, I haven't, then it's like, all oh, right. Well, sometimes these systems can get a bit confused. Has anyone you know? Being involved in a car accident. You're basically cold reading people. Um, Could you be involved in a car accident? <laughs> Are you sure? Like, <laughs> and it, it sold it. It sold because occasionally you do like, yeah, it's a numbers game where you told 200 people a day and you'll probably find two who have actually been in a car accident recently. Maybe one of those will take you up on it. It's a sales job and I'm awful at sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm so bad at so like, because I, I also did. Uh, I'll get to that. Sorry, uh, <laughs> and it was so shady because, like, even when pe- even when people do make these claims and they actually have legitimately been in it and they are due insurance, it bumps up their insurance rates massively. Yeah. 
Really? Yeah, if you made it, if you made it, you end up paying more. That is not fair. Well, no, but the world isn't fair, is it? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> That's nothing. Like we live in the darkest timeline. It's just how it has to be now. We live with actual supervillains. It's like there is someone out there with enough money to solve world hunger, and he's too busy carving his dick on the moon. Mm, yeah, Bezos. Yeah, well, Bezos, probably Zuckerberg, Branson, like all, all of the white male billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it is supervillain shit. It's like mm. Batman will fight them, and I stand by it. <laughs> yeah, although Batman's superpower is very much that he's rich. Oh, yeah, I mean, Batman's superpower is also capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> he never killed anybody. He just beat them half to death and left them on the roof of a skyscraper. <laughs> And then let austerity do the rest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck him. So you lasted a week in that job. Oh, I just stopped. I stopped turning up. Fair enough. It just, yeah, it didn't sit right with me. It was clearly a super shady business. I just stopped turning up and was not chased. Okay, so they just <laughs> let you go. Yeah, they were just like, we're not getting him back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I always think you know the quality of a business when you don't go and they don't check in. Because you could have you could have been in a car accident. <laughs> they could have got a sale <laughs> oh maybe i'd have got an employee discount as well yeah oh no it was off. i've done i've done a bit of call center work because as i think every comedian ever has mm-hmm. it does but, come up quite often yeah i refuse I, re- I refuse to write material about it yeah <laughs> it's like because i think i've seen the old call center shit set like more times than i've seen my own yeah <laughs> or uh, the one about completing Tinder. Oh, completing Tinder, completing Netflix. Uh-huh. Um, identifying so. as insert, you know, noun. Yeah, attack helicopter. Oh god, I think it's like run an open mic night, so I shouldn't. <laughs> so, fairness, <laughs> I make it very clear how I feel about a lot of shit, that, like that kind of material, because it's still we still bill up that night as alternative comedy, even though it's that one's not. Mm-hmm. But so we're just like, look, this is a nice night. If you are, and we're giving you 10 minutes, unlike any other night anywhere at the moment. So mm-hmm. if you fuck it up, Tom's coming on with a stick and dragging you off stage. <laughs> just give us 10 minutes of your best pedo jokes, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've seen so many pedo jokes. I think the, the best pedo joke set that I ever saw was um, at such a. <laughs> It was such a lovely night. It was, an, it was an afternoon gig. The guy who runs it is the sweetest man who makes vegan cakes. Oh. It's you know, it's that kind of thing. And this no, guy, I love an afternoon gig as well. I love mm. anything where I'm home before nine. Oh, it's perfect. It's the absolute dream. And uh, this guy turns up, starts doing his pedo jokes, and nobody. The room is furious. And he is shaking and sweating and just walks away. Oh, I was, um, we were doing Valhalla Decadence, uh, which is our alternative comp show um, in Edinburgh one year. And one of the acts kind of like did that very typical male comedian thing of thinking that because it's a character, they can say slurs. Mm-hmm. Like that. Oh, it's not. I don't think it. I'm pointing out how ridiculous it is, and there's like no, there's better ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's like it was right at the end of his set, but so he like dropped one in, and I just came from backstage like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and that's you done. <laughs> oh, I did. Like someone tried to applaud him, I was like, we don't do that. He said a bad word, we boo him off the stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's well because as well when it's your night, it's reflected oh, yeah. on you, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like how that stuff is handled is really important it's like i'm always quite glad that i suppose it's one way that my day job and comedy actually do intertwine quite well i'm really glad i've got a strong background in safeguarding Mm -hmm. because it does mean that nights i run you know are as safe as i'm able to make it and it's hard to make a safe open mic that's the main thing i've learned because you don't police them and it's like almost every night at the moment certainly in manchester is a show up and go up and it's very very hard to police and mm-hmm. you know, I had to have so many messages from comedians. I was like, we've heard this about this person, and I'm like, oh, good, that's something else for me to deal with. Amazing. Yeah. But it's <laughs> weird as well, isn't it? Because you you can't, um, it, you don't want to go off here, sir. But also, that is all you have to go off. So what do you do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's always you should always believe the victim, and also it never feels right believing the man, but. 
sometimes. There's <laughs> <laughs> a rule, he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's usually the man. It's hard. It, I think it's because, I don't know, comedy is just full of, like, I say that we're the bus driver. I say that we're the bus drivers of performance mm-hmm. because we just, it's a bunch of men who were bullied in school who now have a sliver of power. And I, I hate it. It's like, I love comedy. I hate 90% of comedians yeah. and it does not make me friends. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? It is a, a group of people who know what it's like to be on the outside. Yeah. Uh, but who have now, and mo- I would say most people do, in my experience, uh, it have create quite a nice environment because everybody yeah. knows what it feels like to be the outsider. But there is the odd one who's like, ah, power. Girls want to have sex with me now. I think the worst thing is, like, because you are right, it is usually, you know, bad apple ruining the bunch, but it's, they can act as, like, a catalyst so often, because, like, the amount of, like, shit behaviour you come across, and it is, it's it's like stool boys at the back of a room sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, just, like, giggling and edging each other on, and, like, not not necessarily for, like, harassment stuff, but certainly for being dicks who don't make people feel safe. Because most... Like, most comedians, certainly in an open mic set, because you get an awful lot of people who haven't done it very much and the funny in the pub. Mm-hmm. And that comes with kind of like a certain, like, laddish demeanour, which they don't seem to realise doesn't make people feel safe all the time. No. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, yeah. So what, what would you, sort of, advice would you give to people with regards to safeguarding their, their comedy nights? In terms of safeguard, in terms of safe, like honestly, run, run a night with someone else. Don't run a night alone. That's mm. the like because I run it with my double act partner Andrew Marsh, and it is so much easier because I usually get the mo- most of the messages, but it is so much easier to just I like obviously clear it with whoever you need to, but like sending him and just like just got this. What do we do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so that helps. And having a second opinion, having someone you can trust um, and just communicating openly, because in some cases we've had people approach and it's like this person is a creep and not comfortable with this and that. And you've talked with them about it and they it's like they don't actually want anything done. They just want the night to be aware. And it's just a case of keeping an eye on them sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I can just always talk out, find out what you want. If someone comes to you and is accusing somebody of something find out what they want you to do about it because mm-hmm. sometimes it's it doesn't have to be a witch hunt like it sometimes can be because comedy loves a witch hunt yeah loves a witch hunt so much mm-hmm. <laughs> it's why i was in the middle of one because a comedian um uh, edinburgh fringe in 2019 um told us that they had booked our accommodation and took our deposits and then had not booked our accommodation but had taken our money Oh, um, yes, I've heard about this instance. <laughs> yeah, and it went public, not by me. I was like, uh, someone has done this. This is the situation I'm in. If you can help, help. <laughs> and someone else named him, which is fine. It's ha- it happens, and it turned out it was a pattern of behaviour with various other rats, so it's good that it happened. Mm-hmm. But it became such a witch hunt led by people whose business it wasn't. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it was led but it was led by people wanting to watch someone below them fall in my opinion and it's like because it was vicious it was like it was like they really went for the guy Mm -hmm. but in the meantime we've got comedians who are on tv who are doing much worse um like and it's all and it's names that you know it's names that i know and i'm not high up in comedy Mm -hmm. so well, I saw a lineup once, and I was like, every single one, uh, one of the big comedy venues, I was like, every single one of them I know has got allegations yep. against them. Exactly. Several. And the fact that they can still get booked is insane to me. There are so many open secrets in comedy that no one cares about, so long as it will sell tickets. We don't mind going down the throats of middle spots and open spots because mm. it doesn't matter if they get cancelled. But when it's someone who actually can shift units, it becomes a bit different. Yeah, it's I've I'd like I've seen so many notes app notes app apologies get deleted from socials after a few months yeah. because I get work again. Wild, isn't it? <laughs> again, it's a bunch of people who were bullied. 
Well, quite. <laughs> so, shall we try and? Uh, we I know we're coming up to we our absolutely time. Absolutely need to this up, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to say, what is what's your best job been? Right. In theory, it's circus in a lot of ways. I got to travel. I got to like I lived in Germany for a year. I got to go to conferences and do talks on the power of youth circus in like Denmark and Spain and all over the place and I worked on some incredible projects with great people. And I did that in London as well as Germany and Rochdale. And I was freelance for a long time. And that was great. And a really nice way to spend my twenties. Yeah. But I do not think I could do it now because it turns out a light disposable income. Yes. So, <laughs> I think my current job is the best by far. Yeah. It's, I'm working from home, which from a disability perspective is great. Um, it's been a weird transition though, because I've come, I've come out of working for agencies, working in hospitality, um, working in all these industries where you grind yourself to the bone and get less than minimum wage sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is at the moment, it's relatively well paid, but it's tech. It's so long as I don't, you know, fuck it up. I'll, I'll be all right in a year sort of thing yeah but what is considerably less work <laughs> it's like... so strange because yeah i'm in exactly the same position and it's I, mean, I guess the work is different like but just when i look back to the 12 hour waitressing shifts <laughs> exactly it's like I've, wow. I've done so many jobs which have while not caused the disability i now have certainly contributed and mm. uh, like like I've ruined my body through so many shit jobs. And then I've like come like come to this and it's just like, oh yeah, just sit on your laptop. If you can't do it, watch some YouTube videos on how to do it for a bit. You've got an hour for your lunch. It's yeah. no one will really check up on you. Um it's mad. I mean it's it's got its own stresses and its own pre- and there's so many because I work I work for a very large and evil fast fashion company. Um because ethics are for people with without rent as far as i'm concerned yeah it's it doesn't sit right because it's everything i stand against on like a moral thing but i'm also like they're paying me yeah. like, <laughs> i do need to eat so I do need to eat and it's oh. like well like <laughs> like uh, the app that i'm working on uh, got launched today to the public which is weird but i'm having meetings about how old traffic's going to be high at this time because this influencer who was on love island is putting it on their instagram mm. and it's so alien to me yeah <laughs> and i just occasionally go on our main app and i'm just like oh i don't understand fashion in this <laughs> <laughs> you have to start watching love island now <laughs> oh no i watch love island anyway i love it Okay, fair enough. It's like it's like Shakespeare to me. It's I I love really trashy reality TV because the smallest of moments is just expanded into like what can last like multiple episodes. And yeah. it's like I, I trained as an editor when I was doing uh, when I was in uni. So anything which is about the power of a good edit, I really really like. Same reason I like yours so much. Yeah, <laughs> and also it's uh, killed an awful lot of people, hasn't it? Love it has indeed. It has so... indeed. For the body count alone. Um, yeah, I mean, you kind of have to. Or, I mean, what's it? What's it for? <laughs> well, yeah. They God have got better. With, they yeah. have got better with their safeguarding, but it took them a long fucking time. Mm-hmm. Not good enough, in my opinion. No, not at all. It's like oh, like this season. You're just watching it, and you're just like, how did you pass the screening process? <laughs> What's the process? Well, I mean, there must be one. It's like, I, yeah, to make sure that you can handle the pressures of inevitably becoming a meme. Yeah. And I mean, and I would be. I'd be like the housewife's favorite. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird, isn't it? Because I had a tweet that got 400 likes and then the abuse came and it spammed me out. I I could not deal with that. Uh, We're not meant to, are we? Oh, I can't. Edinburgh 2019 was really hard for me because um, our show was very polarizing. Mm. And the people who liked it were really into it. But the people, but when somebody likes something, they're less likely to put it on the fringe website. But it turns out when somebody doesn't like something, they <laughs> will and they'll get mean about oh. it. <laughs> like, they just don't think that you're a person, do they? That's the oh, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and in fact, we weren't doing free friends, so it's not like, like they did pay to see us. So yeah. 
I think my favorite one was uh, it was like it's nothing like the description described like the description made out and Andrew read that and was just like wasn't our show description just a series of pop pun- pun- puns that you wrote in February because we didn't know what the show was going to be <laughs> like yeah <laughs> it's meaningless <laughs> it's AI generated I may as well have just said like Google make it make a pop punch show bio please yeah, <laughs> So I think that that is our time. It has been an absolute pleasure. I'm glad. Thank um, you. Where can the people find you? What uh, are you up to? Uh, you can find myself at uh, that Tom B. I spelled uh, Tom like the York, B like the animal. Um, because, well, again, when you work with kids, you need a name that's hard to find. But also, as soon as I had to start spelling it for people, because podcasts were a thing. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, but that's on Instagram and Twitter, and you can also find No Money in the Bank, which is my double act at at N M I T Bank, and that's also Twitter and Instagram. And just look for us on Facebook. And with uh, no one uses Facebook except your nan, but it's really good for events. Yeah. Our next big thing is we have we run a weekly open mic for alternative new acts at Santiago Bar in Leeds every Wednesday, except for the last Wednesday of the month where we do our bigger alternative show at Wharf Chambers in Leeds. It's a lush show. Um, next one is August 31st, and we have got Hannah Platt headlining, Kat Molinari opening, Kyle Bedder and Kieran Mullins. So it should be very good. And a, and a ridiculous raffle where the only way that you can get a raffle ticket is to tip the bar staff because they're underpaid. So I love it. <laughs> Give him back. Exactly, they love us. It's like we'll never lose that venue because like it's like, fucking do. Like, doesn't matter how much we doesn't matter how much we lose. Whenever we like take a break for the bar, they're just getting tips because people want raffle tickets. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Um, oh well, I uh will plug plug one of my things as well. I do. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've started a second podcast. Uh, <gasps> yeah, with with my friend Aidan McCaffrey, who you might know. It's called Historical Hot or Not. Uh, I, I'm dropping them periodically into the zero hours feed, but it's uh, basically we talk about uh, historical figures and whether we'd fuck them or not. Um, <laughs> we've got we've got branded merch. We've got the condoms printed. So no. uh huh, yeah. Oh, why do I have to be in a committed relationship? It's fine. Oh. You can still use condoms. <laughs> no, but like, if you don't have to, why would you? Well, quite yes, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just a youth worker, Tom V. Uh, I don't know. Drop us a message if you want a condom. I guess it's going to probably sell them for. I, I don't know how much. Uh, I'll let you know. We we're really bad at this sales thing, uh, but the the podcast is quite good. We've had good feedback. So <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for being a guest. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for hosting me. Yes, goodbye. Goodbye.